So uh, we started a couple of weeks ago in our study of the book of Luke, and uh, we kind of started this whole book by reading and studying the mission of Jesus, which is he came to make all things new. And the question is, what does that mean? Like, does he do that like by waving a wand or snapping his finger or what does it look like he's making all things new? And that's what this book is about. We're going to be studying this this spring to understand that. And we're going to be studying today this familiar story where Jesus tells Peter, cast his nets out into the water and he catches this record, catch a fish. Maybe you've heard that before, but this story is not about fish. This story is about Jesus and Peter. And what's significant about this is that when Jesus comes to make things new, uh, he starts with you, which I'm not sure I like that. Like God and I have kind of debated this because I would much prefer he start with the world. Like there are big things out there that I would love for him to make new. Like go out there and start with that. And if you, if you don't want to tackle the world problems, at least change my wife. Like I love, I've got a long list of ways that I want to see God work in her life. I'm just honest with you, don't you? Like if you're married, you probably have that list too. And I prefer when Jesus comes to move close to me, I'm like detour please and just go fix her or fix my kids, or here's a great one. Like, if God could just fix my parents, like, oh, yeah, like, they're, that's, you want to talk about become prayer warriors, that God would change our parents. But it seems like Jesus bypasses all that, and he deals with us. And what he's doing here with Peter gives us a clue about how he's coming toward us. And there are three things he does in this story. Uh, the first thing that he does is he comes and he picks a fight. And we're going to see how he came to pick a fight. And then uh, Jesus comes in and he brings the truth. It's not just truth about him. He brings truth about you. And uh, this healing, transformative, making all things new starts with picking a fight. Then it goes to what's the truth. And then Jesus changes what makes us go, Wow. He changes what's amazing to us. So the whole sermon can be summed up in PTW. That was the best I could do. I'm sorry. I, I prayed about it and God said, that's all I'm giving you. So <laughs> let's go into the passage. And who's my reader today? Do I have a reader? Do you guys know Elisa? I think more people know you than that, Elisa. This is Elisa Goodrich. If you, yeah, there you go. Some shout outs. All right. Love that. She's starting in chapter five, and um, that's in verse one. And if you are reading from our new decorative Bible, then uh, let's see, what is it? It's page, starting in page 38. Yeah. Okay. Chapter five, verses one through 11. On one occasion, while the crowd was pressing in on him to hear the word of God, he was standing by the lake of Gennesaret. And he saw two boats by the lake, but the fishermen had gone out of them and were washing their nets. Getting into one of the boats, which was Simon's, he asked him to put out a little from the land. And he sat down and taught the people from the boat. And when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. And Simon answered, master, we toiled all night and took nothing. 
but at your word, I will let down the nets. And when they had done this, they enclosed a large number of fish and their nets were breaking. They signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both the boats so that they began to sink. But when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus's knees saying, depart from me for I am a sinful man, O Lord. For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish that they had taken. And so also were James and John, sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, do not be afraid. From now on, you will be catching men. And when they had brought their boats to the land, they left everything and followed him. Let's just pray. Lord, we, um, we just need to pause and confess that, Lord, we are, we're really good at taking uh, really beautiful things and like shrinking them down to where we can control them. We do that with church, is that we think this building is the church or we've come to church and we shrink back the reality that we're the church and that you're here with us. And so, Lord, it's easy for us to experience or try to experience what I'm about to say and miss that you're here speaking. And I pray, Lord, that you would crash through our cynicism, our doubts, our weariness, and meet us this morning. Pick a fight with us, Jesus, uh, for our own sake. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. So uh, <clears throat> we have this story, maybe you've heard this before, where Jesus is on the beach of this lake, and he's standing, and all these people are gathering around, and he gets tired of standing. He's like, I'm... I don't mind teaching you guys, but I'm, I'm going to jump in this boat here. You guys push it out a little bit, and I'm going to sit down. So Jesus sits down, and he begins to teach, and he teaches for a while, and then he's done. And he comes off the boat, and there on the shore is Peter and his crew, and they're all cleaning their nets. Very biblical thing to do, you know? And he's walking past them, and I can almost imagine Jesus, he didn't say, hey, thanks for the use of your boat. But it's almost like he's saying that. And he goes, hey, uh, get you guys together and set out for deep water. And I think what Jesus is doing is he's picking a fight with Peter. And the reason I think he's picking a fight with Peter, because let me tell you uh, what I think Peter was thinking. That Peter's sitting on the shore and he sees all these people following another teacher who's up there giving his goods, and he's thinking, okay, you're, you're good, man. I, I'm going to give you that. Like When you speak, people listen, and you've got great illustrations. I love that. You're kind of funny, and you, know, you use stories, which I kind of like that. And I'm sure you're going to write a book one day, and it's going to be huge. I, you're going to start a TV ministry. Like Lots of people are going to follow you, and you're really good at that. But you don't know squat about fishing. You don't. You don't know anything. See, they were cleaning their nets because these nets, are, they're, they're called trammel nets, and they're nets that are made out of linen. And so they're, when they get wet, they're heavy. And they take them out and they put them uh, in water at night because they're so thick that during the day, fish can see them. 
and they don't ever fish out in the deep waters because these nets sink down to the bottom and they trap the fish. And if you go out into too deep a water, the fish is going to swim underneath the nets. They're on the shore cleaning these nets so they can stretch them out and dry them because they've been fishing all night and they want to fish that night. And if they don't do this, the nets aren't going to be ready to fish that night. So they're tired because they fished all night. They're discouraged because they haven't caught anything. And you know how hard it is to listen to a sermon when you haven't slept all night? No? Some of you have already gone to sleep. I get it. You're like, wait, wait, what is he talking about again? So they've listened to Jesus do all this teaching. And now he wants them to go put their nets back in the boat. They're wet and drag them out to deep water, which you never fish out there in the middle of the day, which you never do, and then throw them in the water, which meant that they had to come back after that, stretch the fish nets out again on the shore, clean them again, let them hopefully dry out so they can go out the night before or the night after. See, Jesus is pushing Peter out of what Peter knows to be normal. He's challenging Peter and saying, your view of the world, your view of your life, and even your view of fishing is far too small. Your understanding of how all this works isn't adequate anymore. And I'm calling you out into deep water. And if I'm calling out deep water, that means you have to leave the shore. You have to leave your plans. You have to leave the way your family has always done things. You have to leave your sense of control. You have to leave your obsession with cleaning your net so that you can fish the next night. You have to leave everything that you know and you have to trust something other than yourself. I'm calling you out in the deep water. Has Jesus ever done that with you? Have you ever experienced where Jesus is calling you out in the deep water? Where he's calling you outside of what you're capable of doing are you capable of wanting? Are you capable of achieving? So when, when Midtown first started, well, it was before Midtown started and it was just a whisper and a dream. And I was telling God, there's no way that you would ever want to use me to start a church. Uh, I felt that the Lord was calling me to get up at five o'clock every morning and pray. Now you got to understand five o'clock in the morning is deep waters for me. I mean, deep waters for me. I never want to see five o'clock in the morning conscious. I don't. I love sleeping in. I'm one of those people like, are any of you like this? Like, I love when my alarm clock goes off because what I really love is hitting snooze and going back to sleep. I can do that. I can actually go back to sleep. And that sleep is the sweetest. It's like, I don't know. It's like dessert, you know? After you've eaten, it's like, that's just so sweet. So getting up at five o'clock, I was like, Jesus, uh, no. That, I don't know. Like, you know, if you're a Christ follower, you've had those moments where you have sensed the Holy Spirit and then people challenge that. They go, what do you mean the Holy Spirit told you? Like, did he write it on the sky or did he come to you? Like, no, you just know in your spirit, the Lord is, is saying something to you and leading you. I'm, I'm going to challenge you today about that in your own life. If you know Christ, you know that experience. And I'm like, I don't, I mean, I can't explain it. I just, well, the next morning, five o'clock hit and I was wide awake. It was like Jesus was standing over my bed looking at me. He wasn't, but it was like he was going, you ready? 
Do you know for four months, I woke up at five o'clock in the morning. And every morning for four months, I had the choice of pushing away from my snooze and going into deep water. Jesus did that. He's doing that here with Peter. He's saying, Peter, I know what your comfort zone is. And and I'm trying to drop kick you out of your comfort zone. Why? Because here's what's amazing is that this journey, if you're new to it, Jesus is calling you to something that's unusual. He's calling you to a life of faith. And faith is the journey of experiencing something greater than yourself. It's the experience of trusting the Lord beyond your trust in yourself. In fact, it says in Hebrews, if you've never read Hebrews chapter 11, it's the incredible story of people of faith, but it says right there in the middle, I think it's in verse six, it says, it's impossible to please God without faith because to, to believe in God, you must believe that he exists. And then it gives this whole long list of remarkable people that trusted the Lord and by faith, God called them into deep waters and they said, okay, I'll go. And they went and they experienced God doing unbelievable things. In other words, what's happening to Peter is something that's been happening since the creation of the world. And it's what's happening right here in this room today. Listen to what it says after he goes through in Hebrews, a bunch of people, famous people like Abraham, Isaac, you know, the usual suspects. Then he gets down to verse 32 and he says, what more shall we say? I don't have time to tell you about Gideon. Do you know about Gideon or Barak? Do you know about Barak or Samson or Jebethath? Or about David and Samuel and the prophets who through faith conquered kingdoms. Let me stop. Deep waters through faith conquered kingdoms. What? Administered justice. What? Through faith gained what was promised. Through faith who shut the mouths of lions. By faith who quenched the fury of the flames. By faith who escaped the edge of the sword, whose meekness was turned to strength. Like, wow, so good. Who became powerful in battle and routed foreign enemies. Women received back their dead, raised to life again. Man, give it to me. I want more of that. But then he goes on to say, oh, and then by faith, there were some who were tortured. Oh no. And refused to be Release so that they might gain an even better resurrection. Some faced jeers and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were put to death by stoning, by faith. They were sawed in two. There's more, but we just got to stop at that one, all right? Wait, you're telling me the deep waters isn't victory, 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 victory? Yes, it is, but sometimes that victory looks like one has become now two. The deep waters are not safe. I'm not promising you safety. Neither is Jesus. But see, when Jesus calls us now to live by faith, to leave the safety of shore, he's not calling us to our normal life. He's calling us to the extraordinary life of those who belong to Christ. In other words, he's calling away us away from that to a new normal. To a new normal. This, I know, guys, it's so hard to leave the shore. Wow. Especially, you guys are such accomplished people. I mean, you are. You're just, 
You're beautiful, successful people. It's intimidating to stand up here. Y'all are gorgeous, by the way, you know? And you've succeeded, and the tools you use to succeed with sometimes become our shore. They become our safety. They become the place we control the things that we have created, our own little world. Even some of you, you've been so remarkably successful, you've been able to usher into your life an addiction and nobody even knows it. And there is nothing safer than an addiction on the shore. I'm telling Unknown. Does that shock you? That addictions work. They work until they don't work. And when Jesus is calling you from the shore, he's not just calling you from horrible stuff like addiction. He's also calling you from the stuff that's beautiful that has rewarded you your entire life. Do you know in Jeremiah, this may be one of my favorite verses that, that scares me, that God is talking to Jeremiah because Jeremiah is discouraged. And this is what he says. If you've raced with men on foot and you have worn out, how can you compete with horses? Pause for a minute. Think about God is saying to Jeremiah, if you're worn out by running the race with men, how are you going to race with horses? And then he goes on to say, if you've stumbled in safe country, if you've stumbled in safe country, how will you manage the thickets by the Jordan? What he's referring there is God is saying, I've not called you to a life by your own strength and by your own resources and the world's normal. I've called you to something extraordinary, which is faith in what's normal for me. I made you to run with horses. He's made you to run with horses. And he's also made you to handle the thickets of the Jordan. And what he's talking about there is when the Israelites had left Egypt and they're they're traveling through the wilderness and it was not a pretty journey, but they get to the Jordan and on the other side of the Jordan is the promised land. The Jordan was at flood stage. And there were people there with their families. And God was saying, you're crossing that. I mean, imagine you being a father with your two-year-old. And you're like, my kid doesn't know how to swim and I can't cross this with him in my arms. And God says, great, let's go. And if you go back and read the story, it wasn't until the priests put their foot in the Jordan that the Jordan stopped. It wasn't until they exercised faith that they began to see the remarkable work of the new normal. So when Jesus comes into Peter's life, he's saying to Peter, I'm picking a fight with what you think is normal. And I'm calling you to deep waters. And he's picking a fight with you too. He's calling you all to deep waters. Do you know the deep waters that he's calling you to? So let's just pause. If you're taking notes, here's the question. Where's he calling you into deep waters? Professionally, relationally? emotionally, maybe socially. I don't know. You know. There's a big obstacle with us going into, big wa- into deep waters, and Jesus knows that. And that, uh, that obstacle is you. So let's go back to the story. Simon Peter answers Jesus. And he says, Master, we've worked hard all night and haven't caught anything, but because you say so, I'll let down the nets. And when they had done so, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. So they signaled to their partners, and they're like, hey, get your boat and get out here. And their partners come out, and they fill both boats so full they begin to sink. And when Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' feet and said, go away from me. Listen to what he said, go away from me, Lord. I'm a sinful man. 
For he and all his companions were astonished at the catch. Why would Peter say to Jesus, go away from me? Like, do you find that odd? This is how he responds. And is it possible that what, what this whole situation is revealing and what we saw in Peter when he said, we fished all night, we're tired, I can't believe you're asking us to do this, but we're gonna do this, that he was exposing Peter's reluctancy. He was exposing Peter's doubt. He was exposing Peter's grumbling, his anger, his fear. Is it possible what he was exposing was Peter's, I don't believe this, I don't believe you, I don't wanna believe you, I'm not sure I trust in God, I'm not sure I believe in God, this all seems so stupid to me to go day fishing when we just got back from night fishing. And this is a complete waste of my time. You ever feel that way at church? I hope you do. If you don't, I'm not sure I'm doing my job because I think what Jesus was exposing to Peter is you're a lot worse than you think you are. And when Peter got a glimpse of that, it shocked him. You know, and Jesus seems to always be doing this, bringing us to the truth, not just of him, but us. If you go to Matthew chapter five, there's this passage called the Sermon on the Mount where Jesus is kind of taking us deep into the heart of who we are. And in verse 21, he says, you've heard that it was said to the people long ago, you shall not murder. So we can stop there and we go, okay, that's cool. We, there's nobody in here except for the one or two sociopaths, and I know who you are, that would say, yeah, it's a bad thing to kill. That's a bad way to resolve conflict, all right? That you should just not do that. Like, I don't like you, I kill you. That's, Jesus is stating that. But then he takes us deeper into the heart of the subject, and he says, but I tell you, anyone who is angry with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment. Wait a minute. Jesus is saying, okay, you all know it's, it's not right to kill. That's a sin. But do you know that the heart of killing is the very thing that's being expressed when you get angry with your brother or your sister? How, do any of you have brothers and sisters here? Come on, you're kidding me. I have two brothers. I have killed them multiple times. <laughs> and yet they still live. It's a miracle. <laughs> It's impossible. I can't do that. But it's not just my literal brothers, but my family or my friends are the person I'm driving behind on Belmont that's going 10 miles an hour. I kill you. I kill you. I can't believe you're making me late for nothing because I have no place to be, but I don't like you right now. <laughs> See, Scripture says that we've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. In fact, when Jesus came to bring the truth, he's bringing the truth to say, you're a lot worse than you think you are. You are. And that's a hard truth for us to embrace. I'll talk about it in just a second. But, but the reality of it is, is that Jesus is not just coming to pick a fight with the normal. He's also coming to pick a fight with, do you know you? So I do a lot of pre-marriage counseling. And uh, some of you in this room, I'm doing pre-marriage counseling with right now. And it's always fun because somewhere in that journey, I typically ask the couple, so who in your relationship is the chief sinner? Oh yeah, think about that question for a minute. Because most couples that come to me have been in church for a while and they know the right answer, 
me. But when they answer it, they're kind of wink, wink, nodding to each other going, but I really know it's you. <laughs> Isn't it true? The person that we're married to is always worse than we are. <clears throat> we're so gifted at picking out their sin. It's like a spiritual gift. It, it just comes with, when you say I do, it's like, poo, the Holy Spirit just gives you the power and discernment to see where your spouse needs to change. But then I'll ask him this question. Do you realize that there are things about you that makes it nearly impossible for the people in your life to love you? Do you know that's true about you? Do you know that there are things about you that makes it nearly impossible for the people in your family and the people you're married to, the people you share a house with, your roommates, your friends, it makes it almost impossible for them to love you. Do you know that? <laughs> Do you know the truth? See, I think the reason that Peter said go away is because I don't want to know any of that. And I certainly don't want you to know any of that. In fact, I'm so convinced down in the parts of my heart that I don't want you to see that there are things that I've done, there's things that I've said, there are things that I have failed in, that I am convinced, there's a part of my heart that's convinced, that's what makes me unacceptable, that's what makes me an outcast, that makes me unlikable, that makes me to where I don't belong, secretly I don't belong, and I certainly believe that that makes me unlovable. And I'm so convinced of that, and you're so convinced of that, here's what we're gonna do. We're gonna justify it, because justification, oh, you want to talk about turning a blind eye to the truth. If you want to know how to just, if you're a rookie at justifying your brokenness, come and talk to me because I am a pro. Like I've probably been at it a lot longer than you have. Find anybody in this room with gray hair and say, would you tell me the art of justification? And they will be able to tell you. If they're honest, we hide it, we cover it up, we swallow it, but we never, 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 never edit, let it ever be seen. Never. Because here's, can we just upgrade? I, there's a part of me that thinks there is no way that God can love me and see all that. Because I don't believe there's any way that you can see all that and love me. Because I don't believe that there's any way that I see all that and love me. And Peter was on the beach exposed. You see it. And he's saying, go away. I, go away. I would rather you leave this beach without me than me sit here exposed for what I really am. Jesus brings the truth, but he doesn't bring it to destroy us. He brings it to set us free. You shall know the truth and it shall set you free. It's not just the truth about Jesus. It's also the truth about you. You're a lot worse than you think you are. But he loves you more than you could ever possibly imagine. And he dares us. Listen to what it says in verse 8. When Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, Go away from me, Lord. I'm a sinful man. Leave. Don't look at me anymore. I don't want to look at me anymore. I can't justify. I can't hide. I can't swallow. I can't pretend when you're looking at me like that. Because you don't. And then he says, for me and all his companions were astonished at the catch of fish 
that they had taken. And so were James and John, the son of Zebedee, Simon's partner. If we had time, we could talk about that crew of boys. <laughs> what a bunch of goofballs. I know, they're in the Bible. Then Jesus said to Simon, don't be afraid. From now on, you will fish for people. Let's just stop for a minute and let's just pause. Uh, what's the big deal with that? What did Jesus say in that moment? Don't be afraid. From now on, you will fish for people. What is so powerful about that statement that Peter would leave all those fish on the shore? So let me talk about the fish on the shore just for a minute. Uh, this was the thing fishermen dream about. This is the story they want to go back to the village and talk about for years to come. This was the catch of all catches. In fact, I found an article written by some scientists and mathematicians, and what they did was they went back. They, uh, they got a boat uh, that was found on the Sea of Galilee from that era, from antiquity, and they took the measurements from that boat, and, and they were going to determine how many fish did Peter actually catch. Because uh, they, they did it very mathematically. They calculated the weight of water and the boat displacement and the maximum capacity. Then they calculated the weight of the boat with the occupants, occupants and the gear. Then they determined the weight of the fish, subtracting the weight of the boat, the occupants and the gear from the weight of the water displacement by the boat. Because the boats were sinking. And they came up with a number of how many pounds of fish had to be in those boats to make them sink. 62,696 pounds of fish. I know. I was like, that can't be true. But I found it on the internet. Hey. <laughs> let's just pretend it's true, all right? <laughs> then they went a step further and they began to calculate the value of it. And they calculated that that represented about 25 to 35 years of salary. Okay, so value, a lot of money, a lot of fit, just the pure pride of a fisherman standing by that kind of a catch, what would make him walk away from that? Don't be afraid. I'm, I'm not going to do this justice because if you've not experienced it, it'll be hard to understand but if you've not experienced it, you have a longing for it. That someone peers deep into your soul and they see you. They see all your flaws, all your inconsistencies, all your fears, all your not ifs, all your ifs, everything, all your fantasies, your desires, all of that. Somebody peers into the depth of you and speaks this word. Don't be afraid. I mean, the earth cracks open when that happens. It's like, for someone to see us like that and not just say, don't be afraid, but I want you to come with me. I want to do life with you. Do you know when Jesus does that, when we experience, we have been seen, he's called us into deep water and it exposes how unprepared for deep water we are. And he looks at us and says, don't be afraid. I'm, you're coming with me. It does something. And let me try to explain it. 
Because all that crap you try to hide, all that stuff that you're convinced disqualifies you, all that stuff that you know, man, that's the stuff that keeps me from being the serious Christian everybody else around me is. All that stuff, when we experience that kind of, I love you, don't be afraid, where sin increases, grace increases even more. When we experience that, we stop hiding. In fact, the very thing I spent so much energy hiding, I'm now boasting about. I know, it's crazy. Like the very thing that I needed grace and forgiveness for is the very thing I'm singing songs about now. I'm not hiding anymore. I'm telling you, oh yeah, I'm broken. I'm a mess. And let me tell you, God's grace is even better. Do you know that the scripture talks about there's gonna come a day where we're all gonna stand before the judgment seat of Christ and everything we've ever done is gonna be exposed. Breathe. And yet in the book of Jude, it says we'll be there uh, filled with great joy. How is that possible? Completely exposed, great joy, they don't go hand in hand, except under the banner of grace. Because let me tell you, you're going to get this experience. You're going to stand there when I get up there, and God's going to say, let me show you the life of Randy. And I'm going to go, oh, it gets worse. Yet his grace is that good. Look how good his grace is. Wait till you hit 29, year 29. That was a horrible year for me. Woo, wow, his grace is that good. In fact, when we know that, that our boast is not in us. Our boast is in Jesus and what he did for us on the cross and the power of his resurrection. And now I live a life of faith in his power, not my own. And it takes me to deep waters because I am known. I boast about his grace. I'm not afraid of my weaknesses anymore. In fact, in my weakness, I am strong. I'm not afraid of my frailties anymore. I boast about them. I ask community to come in and carry me in my weaknesses. So, uh, do you guys know who Nikki Cruz is? Anybody here? Good, because back in the 70s, this illustration was so overused. Now it's coming back. <laughs> back in the 60s, there was a guy that moved to Brooklyn. And when I say he was white, I mean like, like he was white. Like he wore a suit with a pencil tie every day of his life. I think he slept like that. Like he was just clean-cut American kid. And he went to Brooklyn because he felt God was calling there, deep waters, and said, I want you to go there and tell people about Jesus. And he got there and he realized most of the people in this neighborhood in Brooklyn were gang members. And he felt the Lord is saying, come on, David, we're gonna go and share the gospel with gang members. And remember, pencil tie, suit, gang, and this was Latino gangs. He was not Latino, he was mid-America, all right? So he goes and finds this, the Maui Maui's, and he finds the head of it and says, God has sent me here to bring the good news of Jesus Christ to you. And you know what happened? Like, remember, deep waters, you know, exposed, wow. Hang on. They beat him up. <laughs> they beat him up. <laughs> you know, sent him home. So the next week, Jesus said, come on, David, let's go. And he goes back a second time. And you know what happened? This is where I'm supposed to give you the Jesus story. But they beat him up again. And he kept going back and he kept going back. The leader of their, their, their gang was a guy named Nicky Cruz, who grew up as a child being abused by his parents. 
and even his mother had changed his name from Nikki to son of Satan. Like imagine your mother saying that's your name. And he grew up in that world. And I won't tell you the whole story, but Nikki met Jesus because of a man that was willing to push out and go into deep waters and get beat up for it. Because that man had experienced the wow of God's grace. And he knew that grace was greater than anything Nikki could bring to the table. Well, it's not going to surprise you to hear this, but Nikki, when he became a believer, he began to grow in his faith and mature, much like we're all doing here. And then he felt God's call on his life to go to other gang members and bring the good news of Jesus Christ. And the reason he could do that is because he boasted in his brokenness and the thing that he would think you would need to hide in this chapel, but he didn't need to hide. He could be open about it in the world and say, I was all of that and Jesus' grace was good for me. In fact, he's like 80-something years old and countries still bring him in to help them pray about and figure out how to rescue young men and women from the gang life. Been doing it for 50 years. And those of us that know Jesus, we know, oh, that's, okay. I, don't, I believe that. Do you believe that for you? So here's my question. We're about to go into song. What's the deep waters he's calling you to? Do you know? If you go, I don't know. Uh, is it because you've stopped listening to Jesus? Is he calling you to deep waters professionally? Or maybe into a relationship? Maybe he's calling you into conflict with somebody? That's deep waters. Emotionally, is he calling you to, to begin to face your own deep fears, doubts, your own anxieties, and go, come on, we're going into those deep waters. And when Jesus meets us, are you willing to be honest with yourself so that you can experience the unbelievable grace that I'm worse than I think I am, but I'm more loved than I could possibly imagine? And let that be your boast. Okay. Let's pray and let's go into some music. Jesus, boy, I got so much in common with Peter. And I thank you that you love... uh, You just love messy people. You didn't come for the healthy. You didn't come for those who had it together. You came for those who needed Jesus. And I thank you, Lord, that when you call us into deep waters, that you don't hold back on what the truth is. And and yet that truth is what catapults us into your arms to hear, don't be afraid. You're with us and your grace is enough. So I pray for us now, Lord, as we're about to sing that Lord, you would remind us the deep waters that you're calling us into, that place where I have to trust you, the journey of faith that you're calling me on. And I pray that you would protect us from the fear that we're disqualified because of what we have done. Remind us that we are qualified because of what you've done. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.